All right, so John chapter 3. And uh, yeah, we're going to close up here um, with chapter 3. So we, he had a conversation last week, right, in John chapter 3. So Jesus and Nicodemus, right? Nick at night? Conversation, right? Nick visits him at night, and they're talking about stuff that matters. Um, Nicodemus is sort of like being nice. And uh, Jesus just gets right to the point. If you want to see heaven, you must be born again. And so that's where that phrase, born again, comes from. Now, I know that phrase brings up certain images and certain ideas and certain references. Um, Probably some of them not so great, and maybe some of them are kind of on the money. Um, But basically, a born-again Christian is one that has been born again, Um, meaning that they have accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts and into their lives, and they say, you know what, Lord, this life that I want to live, I want to live it on your terms, your way, you've died for me, I want to live a life in response of thanks to that. So that's just being born again, right? That's it right there. Um, so we talked about that stuff last week, and we get into a passage this week which is pretty interesting, and I think is super helpful for us because um, there's not a lot of things in life where when you decrease something, it actually grows better. Like if you decrease sunlight or water, you know, from plants, like, you know, they don't grow very well. Um, if you decrease maybe, you know, uh, a lot of food, you know, from our diets, um, you know, we just stop eating altogether. You know, we're not going to grow so well. You know, if we like, you know, cut out some air from things, like, you know, we're not going to grow so well. But um, there's something in the Bible that it makes really clear that actually needs to decrease so that way we can not only grow, but we can actually thrive like that first song that we sang. Um, and how many people know that we're not just supposed to sort of kind of make it in this life? We're actually supposed to be thriving through this life. How many people actually knew that? Eh, a couple. A couple. Maybe some aren't so convinced. Um, but we are actually called to be thriving in this life and what life throws at us. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. And that might, might sound pretty foreign to some people, or maybe for a long time, life and circumstances and difficulties and challenges have really spoken a lot louder and have a lot more influence, and they've really been calling the shots. But we're called to do, and really what Christ has accomplished for us through the cross is a life that we could have that's more abundant, where we're more than conquerors, and we can thrive. The Christian has to have an unnatural, uncanny ability to adapt and adjust to any situation, any situation, and figure out a way, where can I bring glory to God? What's he speaking in the middle of this? How is he trying to change me and work through me in this situation? These are the questions, these are the mind, this is the mindset, these are the attitudes that the Christian has as he or she goes through life, right? It's true, right? But the battle is actually doing that, right? That's, unless you got that one knocked out pretty easy, I, that's pretty impressive. Most of us, that doesn't come very easy. Most of us know a lot about being overwhelmed. We know a lot, and 
maybe for some people it doesn't even take much to be overwhelmed. Most of us know a lot about being overwhelmed. We know a lot about being frustrated. We know a lot about finding all the wrong in a particular situation. You can do that real well. Most of us can understand real well what hopelessness looks like and be able to identify with that. And most of us can even maybe even be in the middle of a good time and be like, eh, this ain't going to last too long. And think about what challenge might come next. That's because that's the way we have been brought up. That's the way that our flesh normally works. That's what's normal for most people. But we have a new life and we've had a new birth. And so, apparently, there is a new life and an actual new birth that transforms all of that from the inside and then comes out. And so, a passage like this is really helpful because it helps to identify how to deal with some of the struggles in that. Okay, so how do I get past like that frustration, the overwhelmment, that doubt? So when an issue comes up, my uh, default is not to worry, get anxious, and start freaking out. Wouldn't we just like not to be like that at all in any way, shape, or form? Wouldn't it be nice if we were not like easily angered not easily offended, and anything that just came through, like, Lord, I know you brought this my way. You're trying to shine through me in this. I want to know what it is. Speak to me on it. Instead of, oh my God, what are we going to do? Now this could happen, and then that could happen, and if this keeps happening, then that's going to happen. What are we doing? And that's something that I think that we know a lot about. We know a lot about. And I'm right there with you. It's a struggle. It's a challenge to put this flesh under and say, no, I got a new life and a new spirit inside of me. God has actually empowered me to live it out through grace. That's the amazing thing about grace. It gives us the power to live out the life that God asks us to do. And so a lot of this stuff will be intertwined with what we're going to talk about this morning. Because we're going to talk about this morning about you know, baptism, we'll talk about envy, we'll talk about competition, uh, we'll talk about belief, and uh, we'll talk about that's really what's critical in all of that stuff. So are you curious to see what's going on? Bless you. Now, question, did anybody actually read ahead this week so they already know what's going on? Is that a curiosity? Eh, one person. That's pretty good. And he's probably not telling the truth anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> All right, let's take a look. So John chapter 3, verse 22. It says, after this, after what? After Nick at night, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and he baptized. So who went out there? Jesus and his disciples. Right? Jesus and disciples, they went out there to do some baptisms. It says, now John was also baptizing, that's John the Baptist, he was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Right? So you have this scene where Jesus, he's going back out next to 
John the Baptist, where this is like his gig. This is what he does. He baptizes people. And then Jesus, um, who John the Baptist identified earlier, when he was coming to him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God is here. He's coming. Make way. You know, pass for the Lord. Um, And Jesus and his disciples just kind of camp out right next to him and start discipling people too. That's interesting. Like if John had a complex or an ego, like we talked about the title of our slide, um, the title of the message there, Extinguishing Ego, if he had much of an ego, he'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, why are you coming into the same block in the same neighborhood doing like what I do? I mean, the Baptist is in my title of like who I am. And you're coming out here and you're doing this. And I'm glad that the Bible chose to do this with a man and not a woman. I think there's something significant about a man being talked about in this position where this is what he does. This is a significant part of his life. And it's about to get drastically changed by Jesus. I think it's very important. It's very significant that he chose him to do that. Now, remember Kayla got baptized... Right? Not too long ago, right? Super recent. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yes. Yet another one. We're going to be dunking as many people as we can, right? But she asked a really good uh, question. She asked a lot of really good questions. Um, but one of the good questions that she asked as we were talking about baptism, what it means and stuff like that, is, you know, one, where did it come from? And number two, what's the difference between our baptism now and what John the Baptist was doing then? Because they are different. It's a good question. Um, The baptism then that John the Baptist was doing, it was really just a baptism of repentance. Like they came to him and he was really expounding and preaching and proclaiming truth. And they're like, wow, that is right. I need to change my life and follow after that and follow after this new Messiah or the Messiah that's coming, that he's talking about. And what they would do is they would agree with that mentally. And they would say, I need to also turn, turn my life around to follow after exactly what he's saying. And then they would go get baptized to signify that. The baptism that we do now is also very similar. Very similar. Where it's a recognition of truth. It's a sign of being cleansed. It's a sign of repentance. But the big difference is that we are cleansed forever. Whereas John the Baptist could never clean him forever. It was just a significant, eye-opening moment where this is truth, I need to change. Which is good. But... It's missing a huge part, which is the empowerment to actually make the change that God requires and needs to do different. The empowerment is like the key link in that chain. You see that? So God like, makes us aware of what we need to do, how we need to live, how we're created to live, what we're called to do in the first place. And we can't get there on our own. That's kind of hopeless. Unless... Grace comes through the Holy Spirit and empowers us to do it. That's like a huge part of the good news. I know God is asking this of my life. I know He wants me to go here. I know He's asking me to do this. I know He's speaking to me on that. 
Oh my God, I got so much to do, right? We could look at it like a laundry list like that and become easily overwhelmed and have a difficult time. Or we can identify with the fact that, God, I thank you for the grace that's in my life, the way that you're changing me. I know you're going to bring me to this place, and I just thank you for it. You understand I'm dust, and you're patient with me. Thank you, Lord. Right? And that's not a prayer to make an excuse to like, be lazy and procrastinate. That's an honest, heartfelt prayer. They can cry out to God and He can respond and work with that. So the difference between the two baptisms, one is really just for repentance. The other one was to cleanse for all time, all sin, and to also empower. Does that make sense? So that's what's going on there. Now, a really good question, which I, I think we talked about when we were talking about her baptism and she was over where did this idea of, like, even come from? What, why are we putting people underwater? What's going on? Um, I have, I think on the next slide, we have, a, I think we got a word on there, um, a Hebrew word on there. There we go. Mikvah. Everybody say mikvah. Mikvah. Right? You got some Hebrew in today. You got to, like, say it like, really Hebrew, though. Mikvah. You got to say it like that. Mikvah. Right? So you got to say it. That's how you got to do it. You gotta be authentic, you gotta be real. So mikvah, right? So what that is, it's that's that's a, a Jewish ceremonial washing. And it stems from things that are in the New Testament from books like Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and certain ways they're called to live, that the Jewish nation was called to live, and they had to um, be cleansed, be washed, you know, with water. And usually a Pretty good. Usually, a mikvah, right, was used to symbolize new beginnings. That's what this was for. That's what this was about, a mikvah. And it was already built into the Jewish law. So, like, before a new marriage, um, before a new birth, um, actually, women would have to do it once a month after their cycle, um, before, uh, like, circumcision, before all kinds of new things that would happen and actually, Jewish people today still do this. So you know how we have a baptism tank in a church, and like that's where Kayla did hers, and other churches have different baptism tanks? They have their, their mikvah tanks in the church as well. And um, they have a lot of other uh, meanings and um, I don't know, implications. and There's a lot of things attached with the way they do it and what it means, it's definitely very different than the Protestant or born-again or Christian baptism. It's very different. But the idea is centered around new beginnings. Like, they would even do it to start off a new week. So they're, like, constantly washing and bathing themselves, like, all the time. And so that's where this idea of being baptized came from, putting somebody underwater. And actually, Jesus himself got a mikvah, right? He did from John the Baptist, right? Before he started his ministry, Jesus came out there and Jesus got a... Yeah, now we're getting good, right? So, like, it happened, right? And it's a significant part of Jewish culture to the, fact, to the point they even do it still today. So that's what's going on and that's why it's happening. That's why it's happening. So let's see. So they're getting baptized. Jesus is there. There's a conflict that happens. Let's see. 
It says, verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And there was probably an argument surrounding the mikvah, right? Because John the Baptist is like doing it for different reasons than what they have been taught and what the religious leaders were practicing. So the religious leaders are teaching and practicing that, hey, you have to do this, you know, on the Sabbath, and, you know, the woman has to do it, you know, after her thing, and then, you know, the uh, kids have to do it before the circumcision, and they added all kinds of things. So basically, you might as well just stay in the water, because they had, they had so much stuff in there, it was crazy, like so much. But John the Baptist was different, and the way he was proclaiming, and what he was talking about, was very different. So there's probably a dispute happening about that, like, what's going on? Like, should the mikvah, right, be happening for what John the Baptist is saying? Should it be happening for what has already been instituted, you know, by the religious leaders and supposedly by Moses? And what's going on? So you can see people being like, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't say that. Kind of sounds like a church nowadays, doesn't it? Something like that. So they're like going back and forth over this. So they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So you got the situation where John the Baptist is like number two on the list now. Everyone is going over there. The crowds are following him. They want to be baptized by his guys. And it's interesting, when we get to chapter four later, Jesus actually didn't do any baptisms. It was disciples that were doing all the baptisms. So, John is kind of losing a significant thing going on here. This is part of who he was. This is what he did. We can understand something like that really well. Especially for those of us that have like owned businesses or worked really hard or um, have played integral roles in creating like a lot of things. There's like a big part of ourselves invested into that. You know, we're the ones that have put in the hours. We're the ones that have put in the prayers, the sweat, the tears, like... And John the Baptist, I mean, it's in his name. John the Baptist, like, this is what he does, this is who he is. And now it's being taken away, right before his eyes. Something similar to, like, hey, let's say another, you know, new church plant comes into town in Naugatuck. And let's say, man, in that first year, they got, like, 400 people coming. How does that make CC Naugatuck feel? How does it make the people at CC Nagi feel? Right? It starts, to, it starts to create weirdness, right? And so that has to be dealt with. And if the flesh and the spirit are not in balance, you know, that's what I'm talking about, envy and competition, right? You can see them start to pull out and what might happen. And what, we're going to explore more of that in a minute because that's really important. But let me just tell you the rest of what's going on here. It says, to this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. That's pretty good, huh? That's like, that's a great answer. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. 
and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. So he doesn't get super personal about what's going on. It's like, well, this is my thing, and God has given it to me, and he showed it to me, and this has been successful, and people have been coming. He says, man, I'm just like the best man at a wedding. That's kind of my role, is to make everything special, make, have things come together, make sure it's complete for the real bridegroom that this is going to be happening for. And that's just a good guy right there. That's a guy who's secure within himself and understands exactly what the deal is. And his response is amazing. Where I think many men, and many women also, many of us might have some issues with this. He says... When part of me is being taken away for the sake of Jesus, it's not getting weird for me. My joy is actually overflowing and made complete. That would be like somebody investing their lives into like like a business of some kind, and then having that taken away for the sake of something else, and years and years have been poured into it, and saying, oh, I'm so glad I could just pour myself into that so God could not use that for somebody else. I don't know how many people would have language like that and talk like that. It's interesting. And then he really pours it on right here. This is like the key verse. He must become greater I must become less. It's big time. Or in some versions, he must increase, I must decrease. And then he goes on. It says, the one who comes from above, don't you love how he never even gets into the debate of like the ceremonial washing and all that stuff? He, like, he just talks about like the truth of the matter. It says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. And so he's not saying this negatively about himself. He's saying, listen, like, I'm a human. I know who I am. I know my place. This is a familiar phrase that's used a lot of times, sometimes negatively, but the phrase is, know your role. Know your role. A lot of times used in sport teams. And I think I've even said it a few times, like with players and stuff, like, that point guard is not supposed to be posting up in the lane versus their 6'8 center. Like, it's just... It's not going to work. You're going to get blocked. The ball's going to be taken away. That's just silly. Right? You're not going to be throwing the shortest guy in the football field on the offensive line and saying, go sack the quarterback. It's just that. Know your role. Right? We have to know our, we are dust. Listen, here's the truth. The truth is this. We are completely loved by God. It's true. We are also completely and totally expendable for God. We are completely and totally loved by God. We are also completely and totally expendable for him. At any time, no matter what, no matter the cost. That's the Christian life. The very first part is deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me, right? Deny yourself. Like That's like the first part. That's what we're called to do. So that's what he's saying. Man, I, I know my role. I'm from the earth. And I know who he is. I know his role. He comes from heaven. He helped create everything. Everything was created through him. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. 
But no one accepts his testimony. It says, The man who has accepted has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And he finishes it up by saying, hey, listen, you have to believe on this man. And we talked last week about what we mean when we say believe. The way the language is in the Greek It's like you believe with all of yourself, not just a mental ascension to it. And actually the way it's given here, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We can see throughout the Bible that believing, receiving, and obeying are like the trifecta of the Christian walk. Believing, receiving, obeying. And you can have people say all day long, like, oh yeah, that's right, I believe in that, and then completely not do anything at all that he says or that the word says. In fact, Jesus even said that himself. I think I got a passage here from Luke 6, uh, verse 46 on the slide. Yeah, it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Like, (laughs) what's the point? I don't even know the point. Like, what? For we are God's handiwork. I know what the point is. The point is so that we can deceive ourselves into thinking like that we get it and that we're surrendered because we can say it with our mouths and maybe agree sort of mentally and just fool ourselves and put us into a place where we really think it's something else, but it's really not the case. That's what we do, right? That's exactly why we say that. Oh, but I went to such and such and I talked to so-and-so and I did that thing. Yeah, but it's not, is it a part of you? Is it who you are? Is it actually your life? That's the question, right? It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared stuff for us to do, right? We're supposed to do it. Not just listen to it and think about it. We're called to do it, right? So let's look at this bulletin here real quick. And I'll, I'll, share, I'll close up with something. I'm going to make sure I got all these because I'm, I'm pretty good at not getting all these. How is John the Baptist baptism different than ours? It's different because his was a baptism of repentance, a change, but there was no empowerment after that. And theoretically, you could like be getting baptized by John the Baptist like a bunch of times. Oh, you know, I want to change now. I believe that's the way I should go and get baptized. And then let's say I had a rough couple of years. And you're like, ah, I think I need to get like that new birth, new cleanse again and get baptized again. And then let's say you need another one later on. Like you could keep doing it theoretically, right? Christian baptism is like a one-time thing. Because there's really no power within it. The commitment has already been done on the back end. It's just an hour side of what you already chosen to do anyways. So why the conflict about, being, about people being baptized by Jesus and his disciples? Why the conflict is because it was over the 
Mikvah, one person, wow. It was over the mikvah, right? Is it right to be doing it in the name of the Messiah and to change for him and to believe on him who is now here? Or should we be doing it according to the laws, rules, and regulations in the way the religious leaders described it? Like that was the beef. That's what was going on. Key verse. Fill in the blanks. He must increase. I must... I hope nobody said increase. Come on, Steve. He must increase. I must decrease, right? That's it. That's the key here. That's the understanding and the attitude that we're called to have. That's just a fundamental part of being a Christian. What illustration did he use to convey that point? What illustration did John the Baptist give? He said, well, I'm just like a best man at a wedding. I'm really not the main thing here. I was here just to support, help bring things together. The main man is here. Whatever he wants to do with me, that's fine. So he must increase, I must decrease. This is pivotal, critical to the Christian mindset and attitude. It changes everything in the Christian faith. Because if we're in a position where we need to also increase, we're going to run into some big time problems. Because he wants all of us. He wants all of us. So he's looking for us to decrease in important areas. Here's what I mean by decrease. On the next slide, Eric, I think we have the decrease stuff. This is the stuff that really matters. And this is the stuff that John the Baptist was faced with. What decreases are in our life? So if I say, we've got to decrease, he's got to increase, what are we talking about? I'm talking about our ego. That's the title of the message, Extinguishing the Ego. If we're a Christian, the ego can't play a huge role. A huge part of testimonies and sharing your story, it doesn't make you look good. It's not intended to. It's to make him look good. It's to make him look great. And that can be pretty humiliating. So... How long will we sit in that one for? Like, we can't sit in that one. We're not called to do that. He's got to increase. Man, i got to get my story out there. Yeah, I know it doesn't make me look good, but it could offer hope and a future to somebody else that's just stuck. Can't let our egos get in the way. Oh, they're going to think weird of me at work, or they're not going to want to hang out with me, or you know, I'll be known as the Bible thumper. And... Does he have to increase or not? Right? That's like, that's the deal. It's got to happen. I think we need wisdom as far as how to do that so we're not like, you know, a little overboard and not really caring or loving about people. We're just trying to be weird. But it has to be channeled and funneled through love. Like, that's the goal, right? So our ego, like, that's got to decrease. I can't, if God wants me to do a particular thing, he's lead me a particular way. We just got to go for it. Sometimes that might mean opening up and talking to people about things that we haven't told people because it doesn't make us look good. But he's got to increase. Like, if that stuff's like hidden in the dark and like not good, you got to put it out there. Got to do what it takes. 
If God is putting it on people's hearts, you know, to like talk in front of a group of people, which people are incredibly fearful of. It doesn't matter if he spoke it to your heart, you just have to do it. You might sound silly, you might stutter, you might say stuff that doesn't even make sense. How many Sundays I just leave here feeling awful about myself? But it's not, I'm serious. I'm serious. Like, that's a real, that's a struggle. But it's not even about me because that's stupid. That's the flesh on the back end. It's on the back end. I was talking again with Kayla. Wow, just a lot of stories from when we were talking. But when we were talking about the baptism thing, um, we were, uh, I was talking about one of the mission trips I was on. And, and um, oh no, this is from the baptism. It was a different one. And we were talking about, I was on the trip and uh, on a missions trip. And a big part of the missions trip um, was that people had to go in particular areas and like uh, serve and do things. And one of them was music, and I can't do any of that. And uh, another, another one was like a play and a skit, and I was like, oh, God. And then another one was like something else, I don't even remember. So honestly, in my mind, there, all three of them were losses. I was like, this is just, I don't like any, any of it, and I won't be good at any of it, you know? Um, which is weird. That's the way we think about stuff, right? I'll only do it if I'm good at it, and it can make me look good, right? Isn't that weird? That's what we do. It's crap, man. It's crap. Where does he want me to serve? What does he want me to do? So um, what happened on that trip is I ended up getting into the play and the skit thing, and that was weird. And uh, it actually was super powerful and, uh, and really good, and one, I, I didn't like the playing skit thing because I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't have a lot of that going on in me, play and theater and that kind of thing. But um, the other thing is I don't like, like uh, a lot of people looking at me and attention on myself. I just, I've never, I, I don't like that. Super introvert. I don't like it. And, um, and one of the things they asked me to do at the end of that trip was they actually, they asked me to share my testimony in front of the whole group, like the kids and the counselors and... <sighs> That never, I was like 16, and they wanted to videotape it. This is like before cell phones, like VHS timing. I'm like, video? Oh, my God. I didn't even give them an answer. I was so scared and so freaked out. I'm not kidding you. So freaked out and scared about it. Like, like crying freaked out and scared. I was like, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. And, uh, but it came to a point where I was like, well... Okay, that's true. All, that, all those emotions are happening right now. But the question still remains, is God actually moving me to do it, or is he not? Because that's what really matters. Because if he is, <laughs> just got to go, go on. Just go for it. But if not, then like don't. Um, so I ended up doing it, and uh, I don't know what I said. That is... I got up there, I was like, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't even really talk, right? I was like trembling like, in the voice, and I see the camera and the red dot, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? So I was just, oh. Duh! I hope it's buried somewhere. And then I remember being at um, a conference, and uh, I remember, um, you know, the speakers up there, and, you know, doing what they're doing at the conference is, is awesome, it's powerful, and then I remember just something going off inside of me, and like, you're called to like speak in front of people like that. And I was like, Phew. seriously, it was just like a little voice, like just like that. I don't know, it's the way God just speaks, you know? So I was like, oh, like, 
I don't even like being in front of people or any of that. Or... So, all of that to say, I'm not trying to use myself as an example where like, Wait, go Jared. I'm trying to use that as an example to like, he speaks and like, just go forth in it. So the very fact that uh, I even say anything in front of anybody is tremendous. <laughs> so don't like, thank me for it. Like, it's all because of what he has enabled me to do. I know who I am, and I know that I do not readily uh, possess abilities to do this and interact and communicate. And if I was left to my flesh and my own devices, I'd rather be on a basketball court somewhere doing something like that than talking and sharing truths about Jesus. And he's going to speak to your heart the same way, where he's going to plant stuff there, and he's going to be like, I don't know what it might be, but he's going to plant something there. You know, do this, or say that, or um, talk to so-and-so, or talk to more people, or get to know about whatever it might be, or go talk in front, or share something. He's going to speak to your heart on that. Man, I hope our position and our ego is like, he's just got an increase. I'm just going to do it. People probably won't even like it, probably won't be that good, but I'm going to do it, because he's called me to do it. It's critical to the Christian faith. That's how we grow. Those are some of the most memorable moments in the Christian life. Is when we willingly put ourselves in position, we're like, I don't care if I really get humiliated right now, because it's not even the most important thing. I just want to serve and be available because he's got to increase, I got to decrease. Our comfort, that's got to decrease. In the West and in the American Christian Church, comfort level and stress level is like the pinnacle of the Christian life. If those are really minimized, God must really love us and he must be really doing a good job. We must be really doing things well. What a horrible way to like read God. Horrible way. We've been promised persecution. We've been promised difficulty and tribulations. It kind of comes with the whole cross thing too. So that stuff has to decrease. Our popularity. That happened to John the Baptist. He got like not very popular. He was popular and then he got taken away. So just like if another, like we talked about before, a church plant comes in Naugatuck, come over there. I hope we're like, praise God, they're getting 400 other people from the valley into their church and they're baptizing and getting the message out there. Praise God. And I hope that we can also be like, call them up. Hey, what can we do? Like, work with you. Like, God's doing something with you. Let's do this thing. Like, what can we do? How can we work? That's hopefully the attitude that we have. Hopefully we're not like, well, you know. Go check it out on a Sunday and be like, well, they don't do this and we do this. They don't say that and we say this. Man, that's, that's no good. There's nothing good there. He's got to increase. Sometimes it makes us look good. Sometimes it makes our church look good. Sometimes it doesn't. It's just what comes with the territory. We are totally loved but completely expendable. Our autonomy. Autonomy is like self-ruling, self-governing. That stuff has to decrease if we're going to grow in Christ. I'm not my self-ruler. I'm not my self-governor. He is. Jesus, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Right? That stuff has to decrease. 
On the flip side, in your bulletin here, his increase brings dot, dot, dot. Okay, well, if all this does bring decrease to me, what's some increase? Is there going to be any? Eternal life. That's definitely a big one. But three things I thought of. Freedom, empowerment, and peace. It's going to bring freedom. Talk to anybody that's been delivered from like serious bondage things in their life. Whether it be strongholds mentally about their life and what they thought and about what's going on. When those things get broken, man, it's like you're a brand new person. You actually see life for what it is. It's amazing. Or from substance abuse in any way, shape, or form, and that stuff gets broken. It's unbelievable. Empowerment. All of a sudden, we become empowered to be a person that we never thought we could be and handle stuff we never thought we could handle and be in situations we never thought we could be in. And many times, the situations won't change. Sometimes it'll even get worse, but somehow we're growing and thriving in the middle of it. And then people around are like, why are we, why are you, I can't believe you're going to church or Bible study right now. Like, why? This stuff is going on, and how are you feeling about that, and what's going on? And we can feed into that and be like, oh, yeah, it's just so hard, you know, I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. And There's like a small place for that. There's a much bigger place for it. Yeah, you know, it is hard, it is difficult, but I know that I have a king who loves me. I know he's going to be faithful to me. He's trying to speak and do something through me right now. I don't even know what it is, but I'm trying to figure that one out. Like that, you know, those are the responses that we're looking for, that God is requiring of us. And peace, that's like the ultimate. The ultimate. And I think the best picture of it is a storm on a lake, huge waves, wind coming, rain coming, and Jesus is sleeping on the boat. That's like the perfect picture. So life can be, marriages just going crazy, relationships in the family going nuts, people just seem to be dropping like flies and things. But there's like this peace just going on. And dare I even say sometimes a joy, not about all the things that are falling apart, but about that we actually know the truth and who holds our life in his hands and he's actually promising to do something good for those that love him. That changes everything. So even though we decrease, man, we still get an increase on like the other side. But the enemy just wants to really emphasize to us, oh, you're just gonna, you're gonna lose your hope, you're gonna lose your ambition, you won't be able to do what you wanna do. Like, take what you can get now. Make sure you do it now because you might not get it later. Sometimes we think stuff like that. Or even if, if you pour yourself into something right now, you might lose out on something later. We're not that powerful. If we stay obedient and submitted to God and doing the best that we can right now, He'll get us to wherever it is later. He is God. He's got a way of doing stuff like that. Even if we can't figure it out. So He's got to increase. We got to decrease. So we just got to like do a good job of keeping tabs on our egos, on our pride, on our popularity, and our autonomy. Like, we got to do a good job of keeping check on those things. And it's really worthwhile to have people in and around our lives that can help us do that, that we trust. You think I'm getting too selfish here? Does it sound selfish? 
do I seem like I complain a lot? Do I play like a victim role here? Like, you need people in your life that can ask you those questions. That helps a lot. And call you to it. You know what I mean? Not like a mean way, but like in an honest way. And then you can give it back to them. It's really good. That's how we can help grow with each other. And it's definitely going to have to be more than, you know, the Sunday morning, like down by really good food downstairs. You know, it has to be more than that. Like, that's why I'm excited about women's group stuff and men's group stuff, you know, and that's where the opportunities are. Because we've got to get around people that can help hold us in check with that stuff. It's important. So our Hebrew word for the day? Mechvah. Mechvah, right? We got one. And uh, the truth for today is he must, we must, that's right, that's right. So you know what? I thought that um, what we could do to really, you know, a real good application right here and now, a really good one that I thought we could do was that uh, we'll do a song together and if he's got to be increased and we got to be decreased, um, that means the point of that song would be like to really worship and sing to him. Really worship and sing to him. Really worship and sing to him. Like that's the only reason the song is playing, is to worship and sing to him. Like that's, that's just it. So the song that we'll do, we'll do How Deep the Father's Love. Because that's one that a lot of people know, and it gives us a good opportunity to also reflect on like what's true. So we'll do the last song, and let's keep that truth in mind. Like we got to be decreased; he's got to be increased. It happens in church as well. Happens in church as well. And so when the song plays, let's sing and worship like it's really to him. Like. God, this is just is your moment right now. This is just about you. This is not about me and if I want to sing or if I know the words, if I don't sound good. Blah, 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 blah. Right? It's just, it's just your moment right now. You've created me. I want to be with you right now. I want to know your heart right now. Speak to me. That's what it's about. So, Eric, are we good? Can we do it, Eric? How, how deep the Father's love. While you're finding it, we'll pray. Father, we want to, we want, Lord, to be able to have you increase in our lives, Father, and have us decrease, Lord. When you are increased, Lord, it's true that there's freedom. Father, there's perspective there, Lord. Father, there's empowerment, there's peace. And Lord, we want to experience that, Father. We want that in our lives. We want to live in the place where we take advantage of everything that you have made available to us. And Father, we live in these bodies and we live in this flesh where we're constantly battling things. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we could be a good family where we can help to hold each other accountable, Lord, and making sure that We're not getting too much attention and too much shine. and Father, our lives are really just about glorifying you. I pray you even put it on our hearts to seek out others, Lord, to put us into check. That's a humbling thing to do, Lord, but I pray you put it in our hearts, Father.
And I pray that we would rejoice in the truth when people point it out to us. Father, we thank you for grace that empowers us to live the life that you're calling us to. I pray that we would aggressively go after it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So are we okay, Eric? Okay. How deep the Father's love for us How vast be